Welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangal, and today I'm bringing you a session from the Digiday Brand Summit we held in Europe. In this session, Joseph Harper, the social media lead in the UK and Ireland of Kellogg's, talks about the power of influencer marketing and all the transparency and fraud concerns that marketers often have to deal with and all the challenges that exist in the measurability aspect. Listen in. Good afternoon. Um, firstly, thank you to Digiday for having me here. I feel really lucky to be in probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. And also thank you to the presenters who've been before me. It was really interesting, particularly to hear Charlie speaking for PepsiCo, who are one of our biggest competitors. Um, so it's shaped, I think it's really set the tone nicely for what I'm going to discuss today, which is influencer marketing, a really um, specialist uh, and growing specific area of marketing, which we're finding out a lot about every day. And the title interests me, the boom and bust. Whether it has busted just yet, I'm not sure, but I think there's definitely um, work to be done in terms of understanding the effectiveness of it. I'm going to go through um, my interpretation of it today. What I will say up front is that I think a lot of it's based on you know, our learnings and our opinions. Very keen to network uh, for the next couple of days to understand what you guys uh, with your brands are, are finding and understanding about the space as well because it's, uh, it's so new and it changes all the time and it's really challenging but brilliant at the same time. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about myself. Um, I'm horrendous at taking photos, as you can see. Um, and as my, within my role as social lead uh, at Kellogg's, the question that I get asked a lot of the time is, do I get free cereal? And the answer is yes, I do, whenever I want. Um, and Pringles, which is another brand that we own. Um, so there are benefits. I'm also familiar with pretty much every cereal-related pun or joke that's ever been told. So if you feel like you can challenge that again throughout the presentation, then, uh, then let me know. Um, what I did want to say on this slide as well is very similar to what um, Charlie discussed with, with PepsiCo. Um, we're in a very similar trans transformation, transitional period at Kellogg's. So my role is moving more away from taking control of current campaigns that we're running across our brands, looking more at the future with the interest of upskilling our current brand team. So very, very similar to what was discussed. I think that's the way forward, really. Uh, and in the future, digital natives and specialist digital people, people who have more of an interest in digital than more traditional marketing, uh, I think, will have a really important role to play. And all the presentations so far have kind of alluded to that. Um, I'm going to frame this presentation around four uh, sections, um, and they are as follows. So first, we're going to talk about the challenges that we experience with broadly with digital advertising, specific, specifically with social for myself, because that's my particular discipline. Um, so we'll talk about that. And then it'll be themed throughout in terms of how we then lead on to the way that influencer marketing can help us with those specific challenges. And then on the back of that, what our challenges are with influencer marketing, the way that it's trying to address those needs that we have. And then finally, I've got a few guiding principles for brands and agencies, because I didn't read the brief and I thought it'd be a mix of the two. But I think um, what we can interpret is the principles that I'm going to put forward for agencies, or what you want to be driving from the, the roster that you've got. Um, all pretty easy to, to translate when it comes through. Um, so, firstly, to highlight some of the challenges which we have within digital advertising, and you guys will be familiar with all of these, but to frame the conversation, um, we're going to talk about credibility, compliance, value and measurement, and content generation. Um, so, all pretty broad, but I'll give some, hopeful, hopefully give some examples which brings uh, a bit of uh, context to it. So, in terms of credibility, can I just ask for a show of hands for anyone in the room, apart from Charlie, who works in FMCG and food and drink? So um, 
a lot of the presentation will be in relation to our products. Massively important to drive credibility through the work that we're doing. We obviously have a variety of messages that we want to communicate through our campaigns, through our, our, our activity. Um, quite often with the verticals that we work in, it's in relation to nutrition. Um, what we're finding more and more now, as the, you know, we've all talked all day about how rapidly the digital landscape is changing and developing, all these touch points that consumers now have to find information about things like nutrition and their diet means that our own channel content only holds so much credibility in terms of delivering that message effectively. And what social media does, whilst I love it, um, and this is a great, one of the great things that it does, but it's also a massive challenge for brands is to facilitate a two-way conversation. Um, now, when we try to talk about nutrition, particularly on some of our more health-focused brands, on a Facebook post, for example, you'll find that you drive a conversation where there's a lot of pushback to the message that you're trying to put out there, and then general conversations around other areas that the brand, we talk about brand safety, the brand don't necessarily want to drive. And because we're putting media behind this content, it's then being pushed into the channels of consumers and in some cases can actually have the adverse effect in terms of how effective it is in driving the messages that we want to push forward. Moving swiftly on to compliance, um, again, you know, the people who work in FMCG will know just how difficult this is and in relation to um, general advertising, but particularly influencer marketing, as I'll come on to. The guidelines are so, so strict. I don't know how familiar everyone is with working with the regulatory bodies, ASA and Capture. Um, the insight that I want, to take, well, I want you guys to take from this slide, hopefully, is that what we're finding is that they're struggling just as much as we are to keep up with the rapidly changing nature of digital platforms. So what you'll find is they're regulating and um, essentially assessing our activity based on out-of-date practices because the channels are, are rapidly changing. And, you know, Damien talked about the algorithm. Instagram have done a lot to try and signpost advertising. Um, this was taken from a presentation that I saw the ASA do at the ISPA conference, which a few of you might be aware of or members of uh, earlier this year. I was really surprised to see that Instagram-specific advertorial call-out feature which they introduced to the channel was actually considered as a risky way to call out advertorial content and that was only in July. Um, it's quite frightening really and what on the previous slide I've put there is it forces us to take a very pragmatic approach to content creation. If you're a creative person, you work in a creative role like myself, you're always trying to find that sweet spot and a lack of clarity and a lack of, a lack of um, you know, understanding from the, the bodies can can mean that you, that you, you have a lot of risk and, and brand safety has a lot of risk. Value and measurement, I won't dwell too much on because I know it's something that we're all aware of and there's been people on the stage already today who've gone into a lot more detail on the importance of measurement and transparency from the agencies. Right, reality is if you work in FMCG with the brands that we have, less than 10% of our sales come through e-commerce and are done online. Obviously, it's not a direct-to-consumer platform uh, and therefore we're reliant solely on digital vanity metrics as our short-term benchmark of effectiveness. For me, with an integrity head on, I don't think that's always a truthful um, measure of how successful our activity is. And so I'm constantly striving to try and find new ways. I heard when I was backstage then a brilliant question to Damien about the tools that are used to measure sentiment, something that we're really prioritizing as well. Um, the different ways in which you can measure the success and the performance of your digital activity um, are fascinating to us. And we're trying to move away from being solely reliant on vanity metrics and taking into account stats like, you know, 60% more positive about the brand and um, different types of conversations bench benchmarked on previous activity. Um, we'll come on to a bit more about that later on. And then finally on content generation. So um, what we find is it obviously a, a huge organization. Um, a lot of our advertorial roots and our creative ideas are based on 
heavily narrative-led, uh, well, on consumer insights and therefore are very narrative-led, so around how you feel and how you act. We use real people in our TVC adverts, obviously, to deliver this message and to bring a sort of uh, yeah, creative feel and look and feel to how the campaign wants to land. What that actually does, and again, interested to network in the rest of the session, is I find it sees us often fail to address the need to present our food beautifully in the most natural setting. So you've got Special K advert in the top left there, for example, um, you know, all, all about positive nutrition, how women can use positive nutrition to help fuel their everyday needs and their hobbies and lifestyles. And we only had one shot for a split second of the food actually being poured into the bowl and then eaten. Um, and when it comes to social, with the short attention span and the volume of content, and also the nature and the type of content that lives on channels like Instagram, you can't neglect the fact that you've got to make your food look beautiful. Uh, and we need to address that. So, moving on, how influencer marketing can help us to address some of those challenges. So, first and foremost, um, no surprise again to anyone in the room, but to call it out, content generation costs are much more favorable versus those of our retained ad agencies. So, we can generate a multitude, huge hundreds in some cases, of beautiful images that address that exact need that I've just uh, highlighted there around the food looking beautiful in the bowl, in the situation that consumers know it. Because at the end of the day, you can talk all about emotion and narrative-led advertising, but when they're walking down the aisle, they want to see something that they can imagine eating. They can imagine how it's going to fit into their lifestyles. And, and influencers do a perfect job of delivering that for us. Some examples there of the brands that we've got and the content that's been created for us. And Contrary to some beliefs, you know, in the past, oh, you know, all you can get is someone taking a selfie on their phone or an, an image um, from on their iPhone or with a pretty sort of, you know, low-level camera. Actually, influencers, because it's becoming so much more competitive now, are becoming much more sophisticated in the type of, type of ad formats. Um, and it puts pressure on these big creative agencies, you know, because these guys will create these images for a fraction, uh, literally a fraction of the costs that our, our big above-the-line agencies will charge. And it's becoming just as effective, and I'll come on to sort of how that works. And there's a slide just on time. Um, when we're measuring the effectiveness of influencer content versus branded content in situ and for, in like for like, so not just in terms of how it performs on its own channel, we'll come on to that, but when we repurpose the content as our own, as we did in this case, I know I've used the influencers post there, but we did actually repurpose that image on the left uh, as our own. It actually performs better than some of the more branded kind of syn synthesized images that were created as part of our campaigns. Um, so there's a real shot in the arm there for what we can do with the content when we, when we get it through. Um, interesting point. Um, and in terms of coming back to the credibility elements, what we're also finding is, again, to that point of how saturated the industry is now becoming, um, specialist influencers are now rising to the top. And when you're trying to deliver really functional messages, again, around health, this is a product that we've launched this year, which has just won um, new product of the year uh, for 2018, WK Kellogg, based around plant health, based around the insight of um, natural foods, organic, no added sugar, completely vegan. Um, there's a huge database of influencers on the, um, on the platforms who've got real credibility in delivering that message and that authenticity. Naturally, Stephanie was one of the influencers, quite high profile that we worked with at the beginning of the year to really drive that message for us versus us telling people, go and eat plant-based food. You know, what's our right to speak in that field? An interesting one here, again, please um, speak to me uh, later on if you've got a thought on this, but 
if you are trying to develop a commercial element to the content that you're creating, and um, we, so, we find it so difficult to talk about availability and price and um, the range, I guess, um, in some of our own content, influencers have a much more natural way of delivering that message. So they are more credible in talking about price and availability, and it's at, it's at Waitrose, and that's for our shop, and that's great. And that really, we can potentially leverage that moving forward. Again, with the growth in commercial uh, and e-commerce, we can potentially use that theme and utilize it to help bring um, partnerships and, and potentially even drive some sales in the future, who knows, hopefully. Um, and then in terms of our challenges of influencer marketing, so on the back of all that brilliant news, there are obviously some really key issues which we need to address. We didn't use Minnie Mouse for a real campaign. I've obscured the real photo and changed the bio, but um, this was a, a report that I was shown regarding one of the influencers that we used on one of our big brands. What I'm trying to highlight here is it's much easier for us to reach our intended consumer or shopper demographic at scale through paid media than it is to influencer marketing. So when you sold the reach of the, of the influencer's audience, what you can see there is as a UK brand and advertising to UK consumers, actually only 20% of that 71,000 followers was, were, were, were British people. And then you go into the further granular levels of demographic breakdown in terms of interest segment, in terms of gender, age and location all of a sudden, again, you're not dealing with comparable metrics there. And that's a challenge for us if you're trying to consider an influencer's audience in the same way that you're considering our own audience we buy through paid media. Um, compliance, again, uh, rears its ugly head. Um, and it's probably the biggest challenge that we have. Again, FMCG. We have huge guidelines around how we can advertise our food, how we can build adverts. Um, some of them are on the screen. I had no issue with sharing them whatsoever. I mean, they're really, really stringent. And they're all based on complaints that we've had and the nature of advertising on platforms. Um, when an influencer gets a brief, all they want to do is put a, a bowl of cereal on the table. Um, and <laughs> they... It, but you can see that you can see some of the challenges. The quality suffers because it's not as authentic, and the influencers actually lose the motivation to work with us. So we've worked with a layer of influencers, which is brand fans recently, uh, which is more real people who are contacted by us, the brand, which is great. Um, but they're not professional influencers, they're not professional content creators, and they'll find that, you know, for the price of a box of cereal, they actually can't be bothered to go and create a piece of content when they're being told they can't do this and they can't do that. So a real challenge for us there. Um, Fraud is the big one. It gets talked about a lot. I guess you guys are all really aware of it, so I wanted to focus on two in particular here. It's obviously while publicised the deceitful practices that damage the integrity of the work that we're doing. So if you're a digital person like me, trying to sell the value of this into the business, when they can hear you know, Unilever and other big companies talking about these challenges, I have a real job on to try and say, you know, the agency's doing as much as they can. And while they are, some still present bulk or fake engagement as success. Um, I've got a specific example here, actually, if you don't mind sharing. I have changed the image and I've changed the names of the influencers that were used. Um, but this element of pods, and I don't know if anyone in the audience has, has been sort of exposed to this area of pods, but it's basically these WhatsApp groups that influencers of similar interest create. And when they put content up, they put a post into the group and say, guys, can you go and comment on it? Can you go and like it? Leave me a really lovely comment. You see that sort of stuff on the right-hand side and then some tangible examples around some of the stuff that we saw. Um, when you actually, the agency that ran this campaign for us presented this back and said, look, it's fantastic, you know, look at all these brilliant comments that you've got, this is exactly what you wanted, it's really resonating with consumers. All of the people who commented on it were other influencers. They're all in a group together. It's inauthentic engagement. Again, keen to hear any thoughts on that. I know it's potentially in some ways could be flipped the other way and it's a way of sort of generating the early organic engagement within the post, but for me it's inauthentic and it's not what we want to report as success. Um, and then this one around 
there are certain brands that we've got which fit perfectly with, with influencer marketing and the nature of Instagram particularly because it's beautified, aspirational and inspirational. Special K, for example, as I've talked about already, fits that narrative perfectly. Um, the beautiful flat laid nature works well for some brands, but when you bring in some other snap brands with a different consumer, completely different tone of voice, what's considered as being the best way to create content on Instagram actually completely clashes and you end up with content which, you know, people can immediately tell us forced, you know, they're all lined up in a row, that's never the way that people are, would have a tube of Pringles on the table. You know, it would be on the sofa with your mates, watching the football, having a party, uh, not on a picnic table with a, a jar of punch next to it. So we struggle to find agencies who can deliver an influencer marketing solution for all of our brands banging onto the tone of voice. Just about got onto the, in the last slide in there at the right time. So a few guiding principles, again, um, my opinion the, opinion, the opinion of Kellogg's generally, keen to hear your thoughts. Um, reach is of no value if the content lacks authenticity. So I would never buy a campaign based on reach anymore. And when an, an agency tries to sell it to us, I just send them back to the drawing board, sell us something else of a different value. To that point that I made around um, the Minnie Mouse slide. Um, influencers should always be fans of your food or your product. And this should be the number one objective for all activity. It's easier for people like Damien, who's dealing with a nation of 70 million people who are all England fans, but when you're dealing with a food and a specific choice, a meal time, and again, across the portfolio, whether it be with snacks or with cereal for us, you need to genuinely find out the people who would go and buy cereal and have it for the breakfast. And they exist in their thousands and hundreds. I've called out Zyper at the bottom, which is the brand fan agency that we've worked with recently. They use image recognition to s sort of sift through social media, Instagram mainly, find images that people have already created which contain our branding. It's going to be something that we're going to really utilize next year. Um, and they're, uh, yeah, a bit of a plug for them there, but they are really good at what they do. Um, and then use agencies to that point whose software and innovative practices help find those people, because they do exist, particularly if you've got big brands like you know, PepsiCo, Unilever, and, and, and we do. In terms of that measurement metric, I'm not going to say that we've got the solution here because we haven't. It's something that we're working on, but you can't compare those comparable areas to the same uh, performance of your own content. So create a method internally which balances the different deliverables of influencer marketing. So think about all those images that you're getting that you can populate your channel with uh, at a fraction of the cost that you get for your above the line and make this your carte du jour. That's all my, my one French reference I wanted to make in this presentation. Um, and then be careful when comparing this offering to investment in other mediums. So, you know, if I was speaking to my version of Graham at Kellogg's, um, I'd be very much conscious of ensuring that as a business we were aligned and across uh, regions as well uh, what the value of this investment is. Always work with disruptors and stay ahead of the curve. So again, talking about Zyper, they're doing something different. The influencer marketing landscape is saturated, as I say. Hundreds of agencies, I'm sure you get as many emails and messages on LinkedIn every day as I do, and it drives me absolutely mad because when you get them into the office, they just sell you exactly the same thing you've seen a hundred times before. Only pick, have a checklist of what you want, and then always push them to show you what their USP is because there is a lot of people out there doing exactly the same thing. Um, this was a slide for agencies, but drive this behavior, understand the art of war. So um, to this point, agencies need to be aware of what's going on in the landscape. And I spend a lot of time speaking to the agencies that want to work with us, telling them what's being offered by the biggest competitors across the board. And you should really try and work with people who understand and know the landscape, because they're going to be the ones that allow you to disrupt, partner you with innovation, look at the future, and, um, and deliver effective work. In terms of compliance, Agencies and brands must work together to develop an effective process which balances compliance. And I'll focus specifically on the bottom one there because 
I've done a lot of work internally with our nutrition and legal teams to ensure that they understand the nature of social media and how it might differ in some ways from the work that we do, uh, again, on our above the line or press campaigns. That's a challenging one because, again, we take a pragmatic approach. We know we're, we're open for interpretation and we're open for scrutiny. So you have to be careful, but there's an education piece internally. And then I'm not going to go through those particular deliverables. I particularly don't want to mention that top work because it drives me mad. But think about the future. Think what's on the horizon. Influencer marketing is so flexible and, and you can use it essentially to promote any areas of your business. Um, recognize that it's flexible and it's revolutionary. And then someone's asked a great question earlier on. I didn't add this in afterwards. I had it in there already, I promise. But think about what keeps your general manager or your marketing director awake at night. Look at influencer marketing. Look at its breadth. Understand it. And then think about what it can deliver for you. Three takeaways, 13 seconds. Prioritize, um, in my opinion, ensuring that influencers that you use genuinely endorse your products. Can't stress that enough. Never allow an agency to sell you anything other than the fact that they love your products. They've gone by it anyway. Work with the agencies that allow you to do that. Ensure your organization is effectively measuring and understanding the ROI of your IM work, whether it's ROI or if you create another metric. Keep an eye out for that and make sure it's effective. And then think about the new and the next and not just the now. So to the point that Charlie made and around what we're transforming into, digital um, people within businesses need to think about what's coming as opposed to what we've got now and what we know is here. What does the future look like? Can't stress it enough. It's hard to stay on top of digital uh, development and progression, um, but really prioritize it. That's me, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Joseph. Just a quick question. Uh, it's really interesting what you were saying about the, the fraud issue. Mm -hmm. um, I think you said that the agency had first flagged it to you. So I wanted to just ask, how did that conversation go uh, with the agency? And uh, how do you make sure that you avoid that happening again? Do you have like a criteria that you use or...? It's, it's, a, new, it's a new example, to be honest. Um, I don't mind sharing it because I believe it promotes the best practice moving forward. Uh, and it's a conversation that we had internally. You know, we know now that the agency that we're working with, we've had a conversation with them. Um, transparency was a big topic earlier on. And, and, you know, these agencies often start very small and they grow very quickly and they don't know how to deal with massive clients. You need to put pressure on them. You need to call them out when stuff like that happens. It's really important uh, moving forward. They, They'll work with clients who don't have digital specialists in-house, and they can get away with sending that email, and the mm -hmm. brands can then report it back in terms of the business. Look at this fantastic engagement. That goes to the CEO. He doesn't know to follow through. Digital's still such a new thing, and particularly for more senior members, they don't understand the nature of it. So hmm. education piece internally is, is key as well, um, but always with, with context and substantiation and then an output on the back of it. Still working with that agency? We will do, yeah, we will do. It's, it, it's, it's difficult as well because the person who reported that might not have known what was going on. The pod behaviour that I mentioned is still relatively new, as I say. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have any more feedback, please write to me. I'm at Aditi Sangul on Twitter and Aditi at Digiday. I'll be back soon with another episode. Stay tuned.